Good morning. If you have not been keeping up with our online Advent devotionals, I encourage you to do that. Um, You should, through the wonders of technology, be getting a text at 7 p.m. every night that has a link to that devotion. If you're not, you can text me right now and tell me that, and I will uh, stick you in there. Um, You can go on our Facebook. You can go on our website. If you go to our website every day and you click under the Advent tab at the top, um, you will find all of those Advent devotionals. You know... One of the ways that we spread the hope of who Jesus is is just through personal stories. What has God done for you? And what he has done for you is different than what he has done for another person. And so you sharing your story, just like Heather DeBoer did, you know, God doesn't always heal in the same way or in the way that we desire, but he is a God that heals all the time. That's what he does. That's part of who he is. So I encourage you to do that. Um, Every day this past week has been, it has been a moment for me every day, just two minutes um, to hear from someone, um, and it's been really powerful. So our passage today is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's just a verse. You may know it by heart if you grew up in Sunday school. Um, It is this. It says, for to us a child is born To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord God, it is your Word, your capital W O R D. It is your word that changes people. It is your word that transforms people. So, Lord God, in this time of us being together, uh, may not my words or praise him's words of singing or whatever fallible words, may your capital W words speak to each of us in the way that you see fit. Your word is mighty. It is powerful. It breaks through the hardness and the hardest of things and parts of this world. And we give you all the glory for that today. And it's in your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So last week, Brian gave um, a powerful message on the Lord God being the wonderful counselor. Um, It is the first in our list here of four names here in Isaiah of God. So today we have a second attribute of God, and that is that our God is a mighty God. He is almighty. The Hebrew word here is gabor, and gabor all throughout scripture means mighty. That's what it means. It means mighty every place. Um, It's this picture of strength, of bravery, of courage, of action. It's a military word. Um, It was used in Genesis chapter 10 to describe this hunter warrior named Nimrod. You probably don't know many Nimrods. That name didn't catch on. But in Genesis 10, that's his name. And it's used many 
multiple times um, to describe the mighty warriors of King David, King David's mighty men, of men in David's lineage. Um, When it came to fighting battles and winning wars, there were lots of mighty men. Um, Of course, here in Isaiah, he is not describing a mighty human man. He is describing the Lord God as mighty El Gabor, the God of might. Moses refers to God with this name. Uh, Nehemiah does, Jeremiah does, many Psalms of David and the Psalms of others. They speak of the Lord God using this name, El Gabor. So there's no lack of evidence. No lack of evidence in scripture that indeed our Lord God is a mighty God. He is strong, he is brave, he is courageous, He is a God of action, which is good, because I don't know if you've realized this, but there is a battle going on. There is a battle, a lot of them, a lot of them actually. We are in the midst of a war of the worlds, if you will, Um, and that is nothing new. Since Genesis 3, we have been in this war between what is of God And what is not? What is light and what is darkness? What is good and what is not good? This kingdom of God and the kingdoms of man. Now, we like to think that the biggest battles that we face in the world today are out there. Those external battles in the physical world. um, Those are definitely scary ones. But... The greatest battles going on in your world are probably inside of you. They're the internal battles. Um, Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 6, like towards the very end of Ephesians, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, you know, we deceive ourselves into thinking that the biggest battles to be won are outside of us, outside of ourselves. I would guess that if each of us personally looked inward, the biggest struggles... The biggest hardships, the fights, are going on in here. They're going on inside of me, inside of you. And that's why Paul goes on in Ephesians 6. He goes on and he says, we need different weapons. We need different weapons because the battle that's really going on here, it can't be won with swords. It can't be won with guns because they're spiritual battles. They are battles between love and hate. Again, between light and darkness, between good and evil, between an old life and this new life that God wants for you. The battle is between peace and chaos. The battle is between faith and fear. Those are the kinds of battles. And you may, right now, you may be able to think... You may be able to locate in yourself an area or areas of life 
where you feel that. You feel that deep in your soul. You feel that fight. There is a storm in you. There's a storm raging in you, and you need a God that is mighty. You need a God that is strong and courageous. You need a God of action. You need a God that not only will fight for you, you need a God that will win. That's what you need. You know, it's really interesting in scripture when someone is wrestling with their faith, um, when they are really struggling maybe with a lack of it, um, the Lord God tends to throw out a question. Have you ever noticed that? He is a God of questions. So we see this in the garden um, when Adam and Eve, very, very early on, Genesis 3, um, when they mess up and Adam and Eve are hiding behind a bush or constructing leaves, you know, whatever they're doing, and they're hiding, and you see God, and he comes and he searches for them, right? He comes and seeks them, and he says, he asks, where are you? Then we, we fast forward to Genesis 4, just like right after that, if you remember what happened with Cain and Abel, those first brothers, and we see in Genesis 4, before that happens, Cain is being reprimanded by God for his lack of gratefulness. And the Lord says, he asks Cain, do you have a right to be angry? Then we have in the book of Job, we see Job, if you know anything about Job, obviously battling demons of all kinds. That is a spiritual battle that is physical as well. And he is battling to keep his faith. He is struggling to to hang on to that hope. And we see the Lord God say to Job, ask Job, let me ask you some questions, Job. And he does. Job, God asked Job some questions. He says, let me ask you, Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you? He is a God of questions. The Lord God knows how to ask a question. And you know, that's really, I think, why um, he is such a wonderful counselor, too, because he knows how to get our minds thinking about what they really need to be thinking about. That's what the best counselors do, right? If you've ever been to a counselor um, or a therapist or a shrink, whatever you want to call it, right? The best ones are the ones that know how to pull the information out of you. They don't say a bunch of statements. They ask you the right questions to get you thinking of maybe what you really need to be thinking about. I really think that's the best way um, to interact with children, honestly, um, because it makes them think harder. You know, there's such a difference of me going to my children and saying, I need you to go and do this because I am your mom and I told you to do that. Versus, what did I just ask you to do? What did I just ask you to do? You tell me. It gets them processing, right? It gets them thinking. Um, We're all kids. We're all children in that way, okay? We never grow out of that. So we see in Genesis 18, we see a man named Abraham. And he would be the founding father of the Jewish nation, uh, the lineage of Jesus, okay? The problem was Abraham had no kids. 
And um, he was really old. Now, biologically, maybe it could still happen for Abraham. However, uh, second problem, his wife was also really old. Um, So that's a no-go. Like, there's no baby coming out of this. Or is there? Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So in Genesis 18, we see the Lord God, and he visits Abraham. And we see the Lord God tell Abraham the plan. And uh, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. And Abraham is like, I don't know, but uh, okay, if you say so. However, his wife, Sarah, is eavesdropping on this conversation from inside the tent. And she laughs to herself. And God hears her. And God calls her out. (laughs) It's funny. It's in a funny way. He calls her out for it. And then what he does is, in Genesis 18, 14, he leaves them with a question. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There are a whole lot of times in our lives um, when we will not feel like we can see the mightiness of God. There are seasons of life, there are devastations of life, there are hardships of life where we will not understand or be able to perceive how God is being mighty. We will not see it. We will not see how the battle is going to be won. It is in those moments, those struggles, those seasons that we may want to believe it. We may want to believe in God's mightiness in our hearts, but our minds are not buying it. My, um, my daughter went through a phase where um, she saw a part of a Disney movie that really scared her. Um, it was creepy. It was very short. It was a Disney movie, but still, it was very creepy, and it stuck with her. It stuck with her for a while. And when her little body would be getting ready for bed at night, I could see it. You could see it churning up in her. You could see her gearing up for getting into that bed by herself and turning the lights off. And you could see the battle begin. I could see it. And she would say to me, she would lay in bed and she would say, Mommy, I know it's just a movie. I know that I shouldn't be afraid, but when I close my eyes and it's dark and I'm alone, I see that, that picture and it scares me. I'm really scared. And I remember saying to her multiple nights, multiple nights, I would say, I, I understand that you're scared. I get it. I understand that your brain is telling you that you are not safe. 
Your brain is telling you that you should be afraid, but that is not the truth. So you tell yourself, you speak to yourself, you say to your brain, you say, I am safe. I have nothing to fear. And God is with me. You say that to your brain. You say it out loud because that is what is true. Even though you're not feeling it. There's a passage in Jeremiah that we see um, that's very similar. It makes me think of my daughter in this. We actually see the prophet Jeremiah in in chapter 32. Um, We see Jeremiah reminding himself of who God is. So in chapter 32, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. Um, He is imprisoned. He is being held captive, confined. He's in utter distress. Um, The Babylonians are literally outside the walls of his confinement. They're literally outside, uh, ravaging and besieging Jerusalem and tearing it apart and hurting people that he loves. And we can read, this is again constantly a miracle, that we can actually still read Jeremiah's words. It's like 600 BC, but here we are today, and we can read his prayer that we're about to read. Um, This is a prayer to the Lord that we're, I'm just going to read snippets of in chapter 32. This is one of the double blessings of prayer, okay? There's so many reasons why we pray. One of the reasons why we pray is when we're saying it to God, guess what? We're hearing it ourselves, Sometimes we need to say it to God so that our brains can hear it. So this is what he says in verse 17. He's praying this prayer and he says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Great are your purposes. Mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt, and you have continued to this day. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty, a gabor, a mighty hand. This prayer is so important. It's such a testimony to this day to us in our battles and our own struggles, because Jeremiah could not see the end as he prayed this prayer. He could not see the end of the battle. He was living in the midst of it, hearing it outside, like we all are in our particular ways and areas of life. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Did you know that? He's just very weepy. He just... He is. He's because so much suffering is going on in him all throughout. So much suffering is going on around him. Here's the thing if Jeremiah had let himself forget the mightiness of God, he would have been consumed. He would have been consumed with feelings of despair with a total lack of hope because of the loss that was going on around him. 
But Jeremiah didn't let himself do that. Instead, we see him constantly reminding himself of who God is. Because just because God isn't showing us the victory doesn't mean it's not unfolding. Just because we can't see it, the end of the battle, the light at the end of the tunnel, it doesn't mean it's not there. There's this part in the book of John, the Gospel of John, where Jesus is told that one of his dear friends, um, Lazarus, is near death. You might remember this story, like Lazarus is on the verge, like any day, any day he could die. It could happen at any moment. Death could win in Lazarus' life. And to the confusion and despair of Lazarus' sisters, Jesus doesn't go to Lazarus immediately. Jesus has all the power in the world, all the might in the world, and he doesn't go. Instead, he waits several days, and Lazarus dies. And when Jesus does get there, you see in Scripture that one of Lazarus's sisters comes up to Jesus, and he says, if you had been here, he would not have died. And then you see his other sister come up to Jesus. They've obviously been talking. And he says, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. Meaning, now, there is nothing that can be done. Now, Jesus, he is dead. End of story. The battle is over, death won, because you didn't fix it. You didn't do anything. You didn't prove your might. You weren't mighty in this. Now, if you don't know the end of that particular bit of history, um, Jesus, the Son of God, he calls out that man, and that man walks out of that tomb. Because... Is anything too hard for the Lord? When we are going through something, something inwardly or outwardly, that is difficult. It is so hard. I think we're all tempted to feel like Lazarus' sisters. We may have found ourselves saying, Lord, if you had just been here, if you had just done it, if you had just fixed it, if you had just taken care of this, if you had just proven your might, this wouldn't be happening. And it is in those moments that it can be so easy to doubt who he is. It is in those moments that we have to remind ourselves in spite of what we may feel that the Lord God is El Gabor. He is the mighty God. He is all-powerful God. King David writes a psalm. He wrote a psalm 
in Psalm 18. And in it, King David says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my shield and the horn of my salvation. So I want you to like picture this image with me, okay? So Lord God, you are my rock. You are stable and strong. You're not going anywhere. You're my firm foundation. I stand on you, but you're also my castle. You're also my fortress that is around me, but you're also my deliverer. You're actually the one winning the war. You're the one out there fighting. But you're also my shield. You're the thing that I hold in front of me to protect me. But you are also the sound that I hear when victory has come. You are, Lord God, all of the things. You are the ultimate warrior, the ultimate victor in my life. Psalm 139 gives this beautiful picture. That's by David too. He's a really good writer, that David. Psalm 139, he says, Lord God, you are behind me, you are before me, and you lay your hand of blessing on my head. Meaning, Lord God, you are keeping me safe from the things that I've gone through, but you're also preparing whatever's gonna happen in front of me, you're already there, and you're next to me close enough to touch because you are a personal God. After Jeremiah prays, um, we see in Jeremiah 32, we see the Lord answer him. Um, And I want to read you what the Lord God says to Jeremiah that day. Again, while the battle is raging outside of his house, It says in chapter 32 of Jeremiah, verse 26, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? I love when the Lord God repeats a question hundreds of years later. I love when the Lord God repeats it because it reminds us that he doesn't change. He's not changing. No matter who it is or what it is, Abraham, Jeremiah, Sarah's infertility issues, this battle waging outside, all of the things, all of those things going on, the question that the Lord poses is always applicable. And the answer is always the same. Is anything too hard? For the Lord. That is the mightiness of God. Sometimes our faith is about clinging not to what we may be able to see, 
God doing right now because we may not be able to see it. We may not be able to see it at all, but clinging to the reminders of what God can do, what the Lord God has already done, clinging to those until we could get a glimpse, perhaps, of what the Lord God is doing as he begins to unfold it, as it maybe becomes to to be clear to us. About 600 years after Jeremiah would pray this prayer, reminding himself of God's mightiness, 600 years later, there would be a virgin girl, and her name would be Mary, and she would be told by a messenger of the Lord God that she was going to have a son, and she was to name him Jesus, which means Yahweh delivers, or Yahweh saves, or Yahweh rescues. That's what Jesus means. And this is what the messenger says to Mary in Luke chapter 1. This messenger of God says, nothing is impossible for God. And Mary answers, she says, may your words be fulfilled in me. My soul glorifies the Lord for the mighty one, the El Gabor, the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary saying that, she, she said that in Luke chapter one, and God hadn't done it for her yet. He hadn't done it yet. But she knew his might. She, she knew the history of what he had done and who he was. And so on that day, she could trust him with whatever was going to come. If you are in a season where you feel defeated, if you are in a season where you feel like you are in the process of being defeated, like you are losing You are losing the battle, and you cannot see a way out, and you cannot see the mightiness of God. And you are clinging to him. You are clinging to his will and his ways. And Lord God, your ways are higher than my ways. I don't get it. But may you remind yourself of who he is. May you tell your brain. Say it to your brain. May you tell your brain, he is the wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. You remind yourself of the question asked by the Lord God himself over and over again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, is anything too hard for you? Anything too hard for you? Lord God, when we study that first chapter of Genesis, we see that you created everything out of nothingness. 
that the earth was completely formless and void and empty. And you created. You made everything out of nothing. We see that. We know that. We can see it in history, how you have entered the lives of people and you have put something in their life that was not there. In fact, you've put something in their life they they didn't even know how to get. But you did that because you're mighty. And Lord God, in all of our lives, in areas of our life, in different years or seasons, we bring to you certain things and we go, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what to do. I am lost. I am, I am flailing over here. And yet you are the Lord God that says, is anything too hard for me? Lord God, may each of us cling to you. We can cling to you. Because as Psalm 139 says, you're right by us. Like that woman who clung to the end of your robe, the tassel of your robe after suffering for years and years. She said, if only I would just touch the hem of Jesus. Lord God, and you were mighty. So may we cling to you. You do not always heal in the way that we wish on this earth. Sometimes we see it. But Lord God, you have eternity to do it. So may we be patient. Because you are the God that is eternal. And you are the God whose kingdom is coming and the God whose kingdom will come. And in the very little parts of our life and the very big parts of our lives, we want to believe that. We want to know that. Increase our faith. Grow our faith. Put people around us who are faithful, who have been faithful in the hardest of times so that they can remind us and say to us, is anything too hard for the Lord? Increase our faith, Lord God. And if we are watching or we're here and we feel like we have never even had it, may we have it now. May we come to you and say, Lord God, I need the I am. I need the Yahweh today and forever. I need you. And may you just inspire us to open up your word wherever our fingers may fall and read. Because your word does not return empty. It does not return void. It does not return with nothing. It leads to new life. We can read it now, and we will read it forever. It is the eternal word of you. And it is in your glorious son, Jesus. Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers, Yahweh rescues. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.